Well, as we continue our series, Restore and Renew, we're asking the question today, what kind of people do we need to be? Now, I, I would rather ask the question, what kind of person do I want to be? And that would lead with comfort, luxury, ease, leisure. Uh, but really the question we're asking is, 
what kind of people do we need to be? That is, what is our real purpose in life? And so the first point would be restoration and renewal requires reflecting on our purpose in the world. What is our purpose in the world? Uh, to love God and to enjoy Him forever, certainly. For what purpose? Uh, to be His partners in the world. Not only to be recipients of His grace, to be His partners in redeeming the world. Uh, this is a big, outrageous idea that we are pastors and priests in the company of Jesus. <laughs> you might not see yourself as a pastor or a priest, but if a pastor and a priest simply brings God's resources to people and brings people's needs to God, then all of us really are perfectly situated to be pastors and priests if we're alive in Christ. So we're going to explore that this morning. So the first idea, as I said, first big point, restoration and renewal requires reflecting on our purposes in the world. We're created by God to be something and to do something. Being and doing. Not being or doing. Being versus doing. Being and doing. Perfectly integrated. A complementary. Different but, but essential uh, that they're integrated together. Being and doing. Uh, the Old Testament teaches this, uh, Micah 6.8. He has told you, O oh man, what is good, uh, to love justice, to practice mercy, to walk humbly with your God. That's an integration of being and doing. Uh, the law, the prophets, all of it we see is about us being and doing what we were created to do and be. And, of course, the big issue is uh, this failure on our part to be faithful to God, our rebellion actively or passively toward God, uh, this alienation that we experience uh, that creates a gap between us and God. Uh, but that doesn't change our purpose. It just changes the context in which we experience our purpose. And so the Old Testament uh, teaches that God is sending a champion uh, to, to restore what has been lost, uh, to create a new heaven, a new earth, to redeem all creation, of which we are an essential uh, core component. So John the Baptist announced him, calling people to repent and be ready. And Jesus, uh, the Christ, Jesus the Messiah, proclaimed, taught, and demonstrated the kingdom of God. God with us, God in the flesh, Jesus, revealed to be the Messiah, the Messiah of God. Uh, the Greek word for uh, Messiah is Christ. So Jesus Christ proclaims and teaches and demonstrates what it means to be a being and doing uh, person. In this case, he is uh, representing, embodying, uh, bringing to our attention the kingdom of God that's actually among us because God has never abandoned this world. And so he calls 12 disciples and prepares them to be his partners in ministry. It's a picture, a, a prototype of our partnership with him in ministry. And having uh, brought them together, and, then, and most of them had been absolutely prepared for this by John, uh, the Baptist, the baptizer, uh, Jesus' cousin. And so Jesus recruits these disciples uh, from the, the disciples of John. And having been with him and learning uh, from him uh, by uh, listening and watching, he then says, now you, go. And he pairs them up and sends them out to demonstrate the power and authority of the kingdom of God. Now this is a pretty radical move. Because none of us would feel absolutely qualified to do that. And, and I don't know that they felt any differently. But having been with Jesus, 
uh, they felt compelled to trust him and to obey him. Uh, not as, as, as passive uh, people co-opted by this powerful personality, but as those who've been drawn into this relationship with the living God. And though they probably couldn't articulate it entirely, they knew that this is uh, who they are and what they're meant to do. It's just a really wonderful picture uh, in which we're seeing our own development in theirs. So he gives them authority and power, sends them out in his name. It all goes really, really well. Now, Matthew uh, gives us a really uh, detailed description of what Jesus told them. Uh, Mark gives us a much briefer description, as does John and Luke. But Matthew gives this very detailed description. And, and it's overwhelming when you read it. You think all the things he tells them that could go wrong, that could happen, what they could expect, not to be surprised by. But it turns out that it goes really, really well. And in Mark chapter 6, verses 30 to 31, uh, we see this. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Uh, and and, and we, can, we can read into this because we can read other descriptions of this, that they were on a high. They were on a spiritual high. They were euphoric. Oh my gosh, you can't believe what we did, what we saw, what we experienced. It's like, it's like a person falling in love for the first time, you know, uh, the, uh, a, a teenager telling their mom and dad, you don't even understand what love is like. This is, you know, and the parents are going, well, I think we do, but tell us, you know. So they're telling Jesus all these great things that they'd experienced. And yeah, I can imagine Jesus drawing them out, listening carefully, asking questions, helping them process what they'd experienced. But here's the challenge. It says, the apostles gathered around Jesus, reporting to him all they'd done and taught. But it says, because so many people were coming and going, they didn't even have a chance to eat. So now they're on this high. And you know, when you're on a spiritual high, it's, it is fantastic. You can't imagine life getting any better. What follows the high? There's usually some kind of a letdown. Why? Because Satan pushes back. Or the fatigue of that high catches up with us. And all of a sudden, we're really tired. And sometimes that fatigue... Uh, translates into being cranky or, or perhaps arrogant or proud or uh, assuming that life should be easy and this is how life should always be. But in any case, what we need is renewal. We need restoration. We need rest. And now they can't even eat. So they're on that edge where they don't even know it's going to crash. And so what Jesus says is this, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. In a sense, you need a Sabbath. You need not just a Sabbath of a weekly break. You need to pull away and process and reflect on and enjoy all that you've experienced and seen. And you also need to be restored and, and strengthened because there's more. And, and the more perhaps will be much more difficult than what you've initially experienced. So if the first point of the morning is restoration and renewal requires reflecting on our purpose in the world to be Jesus' partners in the world, pastors and priests in his name. The second point is this, then what kind of person do we need to be uh, to fulfill our purpose? Well, you need to simply be yourself, alive in Christ, alive to people in his name. Yes, Jesus came to rescue us, restore us, renew us, to be that and do that to be alive in him and alive uh, to what he's doing in us and, and alive, present, engaged uh, with people, uh, with the world in, that, in, 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 in which we actually live and move and, and have our being. The actual life we're living is the context 
for Jesus to show us what life looks like in him. So that includes growing in our knowledge and love of, of ourselves, uh, him, and others. You know that, that the, the great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. We need to go to school on ourselves. Being a student of you is not self-centered. It's a biblical responsibility. How do you love others if you don't understand the love of God in you and your experience and expression of it? Right? And being a disciple of Jesus is not self-delusional. It's a purposeful life. It's a life for which we were created. Everybody, no matter what you do, professionally, uh, whatever age and stage you're in, this is the life we have been created for, to be a disciple, a one who is learning from God himself, a disciple of Jesus. And then it includes growing in our knowledge and love of ourselves and other people by being his beloved child and doing the things he shows us to do that can bless other people in his name. So you see this perfect and beautiful integration of being and doing in order to fulfill our purpose. If we lose any part of that, uh, the road gets rough. The going uh, is tough. And so we need spiritual and emotional training to prepare us for this, certainly, and then to support us and sustain us in this. We've received salvation as a gift, and then our response to it draws us into uh, a need for training and, and support and uh, a sustaining process where we're refreshed and renewed in our being and in our doing, a constant realignment with God's purposes for us. Well, let me give you this analogy. Uh, how deep is it possible to free dive? We live out here by this beautiful ocean. Uh, how, po- uh, how, how deep is it possible to free dive? Well, as it turns out, the current record is 702 feet. Imagine that. Uh, 14.5 pounds per square inch of pressure, and that gets more intense the lower you go. So to dive down 702 feet is an incredible uh, effort. And then how do you get back up? How would you possibly have enough oxygen to get back up? So that's the record. And speaking of oxygen, uh, what's the longest a person can hold their breath? Well, as it turns out, the current world record of just you inhaling and then holding your breath uh, in a static position underwater is 11 minutes and 35 seconds. Can you hold your breath for 11 minutes and 35 seconds? I don't think so. Um, Maybe 30 seconds, a minute, possibly if you're really good, two and if, they, if you're allowed to suck up some oxygen, if somebody has an oxygen tank and you can breathe the oxygen, you can actually push that to 24 minutes. It's mind-boggling, isn't it? How could anybody possibly dive 702 feet down or hold their breath for either 11 minutes or with the assistance of oxygen, uh, almost 24 minutes? Crazy. Well, it's a function of fitness and training and oxygen. Those are the essential components. Uh, So it is with spiritual growth. If we lack these, we limit our capacity to dive deep into life and enjoy it. We need training. We need fitness, development of our our spiritual muscles, our capacities. We need to learn some techniques in using those capacities. And we need then the oxygen to fuel those capacities. It's a beautiful picture of how God has created us to to, to be... uh, not only restored, but trained and supported and sustained through his word, his people, uh, his, uh, his spirit in us. 
Uh, I met with a young, engaged couple this week. Uh, I love meeting with young, engaged couples. I'm actually any, any age couples. And processing with them, not just their wedding, but their marriage. Uh, like every engaged couple, this couple wanted to talk about their wedding. Well, you know, uh, a wedding takes about 10 minutes to, to talk through. Uh, it might take endless hours and days of planning and logistics and expense to pull it off. But, but a wedding is, is a pretty simple thing. We spent the next three hours talking about how to build a marriage. See, that's the hard thing. Getting, having a wedding ceremony is a logistical challenge. But having a marriage is a demanding life challenge. Fitness, training, and oxygen are key to a marriage. For a marriage to have time to go the distance, right? To go deep, where it's deeply satisfying. Uh, to endure through all the challenges that come with every marriage. And then finally, to actually experience joy in your marriage. That would be the point. So who we are and what we do will be stress-tested in life. Whether you're trying to become a free diver or a husband or a wife, a parent, a colleague, a friend, uh, responding to whatever you think God's call is in your life. It takes uh, a, an integration of your being and your doing supported by some fitness, some training and some oxygen to pull that off. That's why Jesus talked about building your house on the rock, not on the sand. Why? Well, the intense and often toxic forces that work in our world can crush our spirit. Uh, the last statistic I heard was that 1,500 pastors a month are leaving ministry, not because they're retired, but because they're tired. They're just frustrated. Age and stage, especially younger pastors, or pastors who've been at it and finally just can't take it anymore, and they leave. And when asked, they say, you know, I was just so beaten down, so discouraged, so frustrated, I, I threw up my hands and walked away. Did they do anything wrong? Not necessarily. Maybe they weren't paying attention uh, to their being and their doing. Maybe they had lost their fitness, needed to, to learn some new tools and techniques. They weren't getting enough oxygen. I don't know. But the issue is that we live in a toxic world that will crush our spirits if we're not learning how to be and do who we're meant to be and do. Because we know anything we do in life will be stress-tested by life. So good intentions need good attention to our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's why the gifts of the Spirit require the support and integration of the fruit of the Spirit. Everybody who is in Christ, who has received the grace of God, is also given spiritual gifts. Now, uh, they, they don't get developed until you pay attention to them. You won't know that you have those spiritual gifts until you, 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 you start you know, trying to serve Christ in some way, and then your gifts will emerge. But the gifts aren't enough to sustain us. It's the fruit of the Spirit that will sustain us. So things we do are super powerful. But the fruit of the Spirit is what allows that power to be released. What are the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is the work of the Spirit. This is the oxygen it allows us to use those gifts uh, in, in ways that are transformational, not just in us, but through us. So think of it as an, in, uh, as an intentional rhythm of work and rest rooted in Christ. Being and doing is this rhythm of work and rest, recovery, restoration, realignment, greater challenges, more responsibility perhaps. We let go of some things to take on some other things. Uh, pretty soon we start generating uh, that is, we, we start allowing, uh, helping other people uh, develop their giftedness and their, understand their call. We, we pour into other people. 
Uh, we, we, be, we become not just people who are mentored or coached, but we become mentors and coaches. And so it's essential that we, we get this right because uh, the ripple effect can be so powerful in our lives. And so spiritual growth thrives in the fertile soil of our relationship with God, our relationship with His people, our relationship with His Word, our relationship with His Holy Spirit. Uh, prayer, worship, Bible study, authentic fellowship, compassionate service. These are the containers uh, that deliver what we need. They're not ends in themselves. Prayer is not an end in itself. It's a way of us presenting ourselves to God and being present to God. Uh, worship is not just attending a service. It's entering into uh, an expression with other people in the community of worshiping God together. Authentic fellowship isn't just cookies and punch. It's deep conversations about things that matter. A compassionate service uh, involves us to actually get dirty, to, to, get, to get in where the needs are and be part of meeting those needs. And in that process, of course, needs are met in us. It's very, very powerful. And as Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He's the source of our capacity to, to develop this fitness and these techniques and to receive this oxygen that we desperately need to be and do who we're meant to be and do. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. That is, he's a good teacher. He's a good coach. He's a good mentor. He doesn't overwhelm us. He, he, he pushes us. But then he supports us as he, as he says, you can do this. Do this. I'll support you, but I'm going to hold you accountable to do this. He says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. You will find rest for your soul. You see this, <coughs> excuse me, this process of restoration is, is being actively engaged in a relationship with a living God. So the being and doing becomes a seamless, congruent expression of who we are. You're not quite sure, is this a being thing or a doing thing? Because it is so seamlessly integrated. It all starts, though, with Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. Be still, that, that, that phrase is the Hebrew word rafa, and literally it means surrender. Surrender. Open yourself up to God. Open your head, your heart, your hands to God. Take off the crown, step down from the throne. It's His crown, it's His throne. You are His beloved child. So Surrender to Him. That's our third point. Surrender yourself to God every day. If the first point was the restoration and renewal requires reflecting on our purpose in the world. The second point being, what kind of person do we need to be? This third point is surrender yourself to God every day. I love how, it's, how Psalm 1 frames it. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the Lord and who meditates on His law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season. It's this beautiful organic picture of a tree, deep roots being refreshed by life-giving waters and all the nutrients that come to them through the soil and the water and the sunshine. This is, this is the picture of what it means to surrender to God, to let our roots go down in Him. Uh, what Jesus says when He says, Abide in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. Now contrast this with Psalm 2, which says, Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, 
Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. Now, Jesus just told us that, look, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. I'll give you rest for your souls. There's nothing oppressive about surrendering to God. But for those who are rebelling against Him, are not willing to trust Him, are hiding from Him, remaining in that place that Genesis 3 describes as naked and ashamed, um, they, they don't know what it means uh, to be what is described in Psalm 1. But at the end of that uh, of Psalm 2, it says, blessed are all who take refuge in Him. And that's what it means to surrender. Taking a refuge in Him. We surrender in times of, of quiet reflection on the Word of God, prayer, meditation. We surrender as we, we participate in worship. We surrender when we go to a retreat and simply find the restoration of fellowship and good teaching. Uh, we surrender ourselves to things we read, uh, etc. So how do we do this? Uh, how do we surrender and take refuge in Him? Well, we learn to walk with God. Now you might say, oh, I'm already walking with God. I believe in God. All right. But all of us need to constantly improve our walk. Not in order to be more acceptable to God, but to find more satisfaction in the particular age and stage that we're in. What worked yesterday maybe is not as vital uh, for us today. Yeah, the Bible study I did yesterday, I still need Bible study today, but maybe I need to have a different approach to my Bible study right? And so as we grow and develop new techniques, new ways to become fit, new ways to fill ourselves with the oxygen that we need to go deep, to enjoy the process. So we rest in Christ, we meditate on His Word, we commit to Christ-centered community, we invite the Holy Spirit to heal us, we welcome mentors to guide and coach, we become mentors and guides uh, to coach. Uh, so this year, let's refresh our walk with God by coming at this being and doing thing in a fresh way. Lord, I want to be restored, restored renewed, uh, realigned with you. We've had a, a long relationship, or we're starting a relationship. I want to learn from you. And that openness sets us up to learn how to walk with him in this particular season of our life. It allows us to choose a better path. A better path isn't necessarily an easier path, but it's the path that allows us to fulfill our purpose as pastors and priests. I leave you with this. Uh, I love this poem by Portia Nelson. Uh, this has been around a long time. Portia Nelson was born in 1920, died in, in about 2000. She was something of a Renaissance woman in that she was so talented. She was an actress, she was a writer, singer, uh, a musician. Uh, I wish I had time to tell you all about her life. It's a fascinating life. But along the way, uh, Portia Nelson had felt, dealt with some really difficult things in her life. We don't know exactly what they were, but we do know that her response to that was to write a poem. And it's, it's a fantastic poem. It's, it disappears for a while, then it reemerges, but it's been around a long time. And, and, and I hope you find some comfort and challenge and um, delight in this poem. It's called uh, Autobiography in Five Chapters. Chapter 1, I walk down the street. There's a deep hole on the sidewalk. I fall in. I'm lost. I'm hopeless. It isn't my fault. It takes forever to find a way out. Chapter 2, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in this same place again. But it isn't my fault. It still takes a long time to get out. Chapter 3, 
I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it there. I still fall in. It's a habit. But my eyes are open. I know where I am. It is my fault. I get out immediately. Chapter 4. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. And chapter 5. I walk down another street. I walk down another street. Same destination, but a better way to get there. How do you want your autobiography to read? Give time and attention to your being and your doing, and it will be a great story, your autobiography. Give time and attention to your being and doing, it will be a great year, a better year than it would be otherwise. That's my prayer for you. It's my prayer for me. So, Lord Jesus, we thank you. You want to write a better story in us. You want to take us on a path that's uh, the one meant for us to fulfill our purpose, being and doing in you, using all the gifts you've entrusted to us, experiencing the fruit of your spirit in us. And so, Lord, we pray uh, for godly recovery, for godly alignment, uh, for godly content that will allow us to refresh our souls, to be still and to know that you are God. Thank you for loving us. We thank you that your love for us, no one and no thing can separate us from. And so, Lord, we commit ourselves to you to experience the wonder of your love one day at a time, to live deeply uh, with deep joy in the process. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and reflect from you, revealing his glory wherever you go. May the Lord give you everything you need to walk in newness and fullness of life with Him, now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.